Hi there, you're listening to the Steve Schramm Show, where we train Christians to become confident, passionate servants of Jesus so they can grow in their walk with God and share their faith more persuasively. Welcome to the show. Due to what I consider to be a misuse of the ancient Near Eastern backgrounds among evangelical scholars in recent years, many young age creationists have actually steered clear of broaching this topic at all. Now, this, I believe, is actually a big big error. So the first issue is this. Some scholars, and a great deal more popularizers, are advancing the idea that the historical background of the biblical writers has so much of an effect on the text that, in some cases, it can mean nearly anything we want it to with respect to certain issues. Broadly and and doctrinally speaking, this could come to bear on things like the nature, length, and order of creation— the real meaning of redemption, death before sin, the limits of theological or divine accommodation, and biblical inerrancy. There's probably a few more that I have left out, but those are some of the core issues that immediately come to mind. However, there's also another issue. On the other end of the discussion, this ignorance has led to many almost completely writing off the A&E associations, that is ancient Near Eastern associations, between Israel and her neighbors. And I'd only be honest in admitting that I've been guilty of this myself at times. The danger in this thinking is that it robs the modern reader of understanding the world in which the ancient writer and reader found himself. Now, this may not sound that important to you, but it should. Young age creationists are rightly obsessed with making sure the Bible's historical claims are taken seriously. But how can we understand what those claims are without understanding the biblical worldview? For me personally, two examples have made this clear. Understanding polemical theology has helped me make sense of some very confusing passages of Scripture. The shame is that for so long, I've missed how theologically rich these passages are, now that I have this framework of thought in my tool belt. The second of these would be Dr. Michael Heiser's Divine Counsel Worldview. Although it's not new to Heiser, that is, the ideas that make up this view, he is probably the best known for popularizing it. The view basically expands on the nature of the battle going on in God's world. It's much more spiritual than most Christians, and especially as Westerners, are willing to uh, admit. With that said, I was really excited to see an article pop up in my feed that was written by Shane Doyle over at Creation Ministries International, or CMI, entitled Ancient Cosmology and the Time Scale of Genesis 1. Here is the provided synopsis of the article, quote, Long-age interpreters often argue that the supposed ancient cosmology of Genesis 1 implies that its seven-day time span is incidental to the point of the passage. This overreads the cosmological statements of Genesis 1, but it also doesn't follow. Just because one challenging element of a narrative passage may be incidental does not imply that all its challenging elements are. Nor is there enough evidence to show that Genesis 1 derives its seven-day schema from any previously existing biblical or ancient Near Eastern pattern. The ancient Near Eastern context does not justify a rejection of the traditional historical week reading of Genesis 1. I liked this article for two reasons. 
first, I only read one line that contained the sort of derogatory language that I'm usually critical of CMI for using. And it actually wasn't even that bad. So I, I was really impressed. I mean, kudos to them. I really liked this writer and I really liked this article. In my view, it's hard to advance the discussion at all without a, a gracious attitude and disposition. So I was really, really thankful for that. The second reason is that this writer not only responded to the claim that we just talked about, but was non-dismissive of the importance of understanding ancient things with respect to understanding the Bible. He really emphasized it. And I would like to see more of this approach by popularizers of creationism. It's, it's the balance between being totally dismissive because we disagree with what we believe to be some unjustified conclusions or overreadings, and allowing an ancient worldview to properly inform our understanding of the text. So rather than to be afraid of this thinking, we should think of it as an ally. Scholarship can help us do that as long as we're careful about it. Now, there are lots of Hebrew and Old Testament scholars who are well aware of and give proper balance to A&E backgrounds and the biblical text. They give proper place to this idea while not allowing the text to improperly inform the doctrines that we listed above, doctrines concerning creation and redemption, things of that nature. Without even thinking hard, I can list at least six or seven, most of whom are openly affirming young age creationists, that is Hebrew scholars and Old Testament scholars who, who give proper place to the A&E backgrounds. There are two that I'd love to highlight, though, John Currid and David Fouts. Now, I picked these two for a reason. They're each known for their contribution to biblical historical backgrounds and yet remain committed young age creationists. The former is well known both for scholarly and popular level works in polemical theology, which we talked about just a moment ago. This is important because many passages seem to be robbed of their historical value by popularizers who take the text to have only a polemical or strictly theological meaning. The latter is well known, among other things, for his demonstration that the Old Testament often uses inflated numbers to make a theological point. Now, this is important because arguments like his are often used to show that the genealogies of Genesis 5 and 11 ought not to be taken literally. Obviously, to some length, he disagrees. And to clarify what I mean by that, I've not yet seen a specific argument from David Fouts regarding these genealogies in particular. So I really want to avoid putting words in his mouth, but I'm simply making the point that he must not think his own arguments undermine young age creationism in that way. Given the relatively recent book, Right from the Start, he has written, which urges modern scholars and leaders to take the traditional calendar day interpretation of Genesis. In my opinion, we should embrace what scholars have to say about A&E backgrounds as it relates to the writing of the Old Testament. Now, as with any idea we read or hear, we should keep our wits about us. I'm not advocating for a, a total uh, acceptance of this or drinking the Kool-Aid. I mean, I may disagree with some conclusions and interpretations of data that mainstream scientists put forth, but that in no way means that I don't value science or the methods that lay beneath it. Certainly, there are valuable things we can learn from scientists whom we disagree on 
on other issues. And it's the same thing here. We should approach these conversations willing to nuance the details. We don't have to accept that scholar said it, so it is fact. Neither do we have to say that scholar said it, it must be wrong. Both of these are misguided views. To approach information this way is to rob God of the context in which he chose to reveal himself to us. And we should not do that. It would be a grave, grave error. Thank you again for listening, my friends. If our material blesses you and you enjoy listening to this podcast week in and week out, reading our blog posts and watching our videos, you can actually help directly sponsor the creation of new free content like this for as little as $1 per month. This is a labor of love for me and my family and those who I associate with, and I am pleased and overjoyed that the Lord allows me to do this, to speak into your lives each and every week. But it does take money. It does take a lot of time. And I would really love to be able to upgrade some of my equipment to get a little bit better software for using these things. And um, I can only do that with your support. So if you feel led in your heart to do so, I would love for you to give on Patreon. You can find our Patreon page over at patreon.com slash swshram. And there will be a link at the very bottom of the blog post that's associated with this podcast. And you can go there and check out our options. There are some really cool benefits to you to becoming a patron of the ministry. So I would just implore you, if you wouldn't mind going over there, taking a look at the uh, material over there, a little bit about our ministry, and seeing if it's something that you feel led to support. God bless you. I love you. We'll see you next time.